0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is America's Rex with Rabbi Ruben Yeshuwabopko of Beth Israel, Beth Aaron Coates, St. Luke's the most prestigious synagogue, especially because of their rabbi. Let's start with something completely tyrannic, the 50th anniversary in 1972 of what what is what was coined later so pithily as the immaculate reception, not the immaculate conception of of Mary birthing Jesus, but actually the immaculate reception that Franco Harris was able to achieve uh, a ball that was thrown by uh, Terry Bradshaw on fourth down and twenty, I think it was, or maybe twenty seconds
1: left. It was fourth and ten.
0: Fourth and ten. There was not too much time left. There was, I don't know, it was like twenty seconds left. Twenty-two
1: seconds left in the clock. Twenty-two
0: seconds left in the game, and um, the ball was thrown downfield.
1: Oh, let's <laughs> okay. Let's go slow here. Yes, So we have to set this late December in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The Oak, visiting Oakland Raiders in the first round of the playoffs. Remember, in those days, there was only. The first round, then the championship game for the conference, and then the Super Bowl. Yes, yes, That was it. And in those days, the team with the better record was not the home team. It, it went back and forth. There was rotation between east and west, as it was called. And even though Oakland had a better record, they had to travel to the confines of Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where the Monongahela and the Allegheny joined together to form the Ohio River. And the was the first time Pittsburgh had been ever in the playoffs. They had't I mean it was Chuck Knoll was a coach. Terry Bradshaw was the quarterback. and they were facing the Al Davis owned Oakland Raiders. Kenny Stabler was the quarterback at the time. And the second the first half ended in a zero zero tie. It was a defensive struggle. two great defenses shut down two great offenses. Finally, Finally, with about two and a half minutes left, left, Oakland scored a touchdown to take the lead, immediately deflating the crowd of over 50,000 assembled in hopes and prayers that their beloved Pittsburgh Steelers would finally win a playoff game. Kenny Stabler ran the ball in by himself, and they scored a touchdown at 7-6 to with very little time on the clock. Pittsburgh gets the ball back they drove only to their own 40 yard line. Terry Bradshaw on a fourth and 10 with 22 seconds left on the clock. <laughs> took the ball, went back to pass was flushed out of the pocket somehow. He got away uh from uh, the defenders and avoided a sack. Somehow he launched a rocket with very he didn't even get his footing. He launched an incredible rocket. Down to Frenchie Fuqua, uh, who was being defended who the defender was Jack Tatum, the formidable Jack Tatum. Jack- Frenchie Fuqua did not catch the ball. Tatum smacked him, ran into him, and the ball bounced off that collision. And somehow miraculous.
0: And let, let me take ball. over from now. As the ball bounced backwards. <laughs> coming in from the backfield as he was taught by his coach to always go for the ball. Franco, (laughs) Franco, Joe Paterno, his coach at Penn State had taught him. Franco Harris running and extended downward somehow was able to retrieve the ball, the sphere before it touched the solid ground of three rivers. He continued running downfield. Stiff-armed the defender. And went into the end zone to the immediate
1: wild eruption. Of unleashing a frenzied response from the assembled. Fans poured onto the field. There were till still 10 seconds left on the clock. Fans poured onto the field. Referees had no idea what to do. People were confused because the rule of the time was if a ball – Hit a hit another one offensive player, and it, it could not be caught by another offensive player if it was a direct tip from one player to the other. Who had the ball bounced from? Frenchie Fuqua, who till this day refuses to reveal the secret, or did it bounce off Jack Tatum? The film has been analyzed from every possible and available angle. The question is still possibly happening.
0: more than the Zapruder film of nineteen sixty-three. <laughs> it has. This question has been sent to these scientists at Caltech in order to see, based on the trajectory of the ball, who indeed did the ball bounce off? And did Franco Harris
1: actually catch the ball before it hit the ground? Well, I think that's less of a question. I think there's a new film which shows that it didn't touch, but there is a legitimate question whether it was a legal play. It may have bounced off Frenchie, not off a of Tatum. But be that as it may, the game stopped for 10 full minutes there was no instant replay at the time and the referee got on the phone with someone we don't know who till this day and either because of the pressure or the crowd or the or the or what they thought was the right call pittsburgh was awarded a touchdown
0: some say they that he was on to, he was calling the uh, stadium police to find out that there were enough guards there because if the call would go against the steelers they were worried about a riot happening the okay, There's fans. a context
1: here that people neglect to mention, which is that uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates had won the World Series in 1971. And for the first time in Major League Baseball history, that victory was followed by a riot in the streets of Pittsburgh. Mm. So that may have been a contributing factor to their fears, but uh, that was the late, great Sadik the the late, great Roberto Clemente, Uh, you know, uh, uh, was the MVP of that World Series.
0: I think, you know, when um, football aficionados and experts and anybody sitting in a lounge chair drinking a Coors beer, I think they all believe that this play that we have tried to recreate for you from 50 years ago is probably the greatest play in NFL history. Now, again, there's an honorable mention, of course, to the Ice Bowl
1: quarterback sneak of Bart Starr also. Um, but again, if you go to Pittsburgh today and you arrive at the airport, there's a statue of the Immaculate Reception. <laughs> I cannot begin to explain to you as a Pittsburgher the mythological the role this play plays in the collective consciousness of Pittsburghers.
0: Right. I mean, and although the next week uh, they did summarily lose, to the incredible Miami Dolphins, who had the uh, season that has never been topped in terms of a, a total a season where they did not lose. Um, uh, undefeated, season, undefeated season. Undefeated uh, season. They did. This was finally, Harry uh, Brad, Bradshaw I believe, was the number one draft pick for the Steelers, who were one in 13 the year before. So, yes, the Steelers.
1: This, this was the harbinger of a decade of dominance. Yes, and and, and four Super Bowls, right?
0: It really what, what you see. I think is that something amazing happens, something miraculous occurs. It 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 can somehow shape a, a mentality that lasts for such a long time. And and again, you obviously the parallels here. You know, we we say the immaculate conception, but the parallels to Hanukkah I think are very striking.
1: Absolutely. By the way, way, what's what's said, Franco Harris passed away this morning. Uh, I'm still inconsolable. Uh, And they were supposed to honor him in the reception this coming Saturday night. There's a game in Pittsburgh Saturday night. Between the now Las Vegas Raiders, but the Raiders and the Steelers, and there was going to be a whole thing about, and there still will be, but the additional sad element of Franco's passing, they were going to retire Franco's number Saturday night. Only the third time in history has the third time the Steelers have retired a number. They were they're going to retire his number, and uh, that was this Saturday night. And tragically, he dies on Wednesday morning before his big weekend. Yes.
0: I would say also, again, before we get to the Hanukkah one I think it is there. The fact that you have something that gives inspiration, the fact that
1: you have something that creates... To the, uh, the 17th book of the Maccabees. Uh, <laughs> the Maccabees were, in fact, inspired by the Immaculate Reception. Right, let's say it again.
0: When Yehuda was trying to encourage the troops, yes, this is what he said. <laughs> remember, <laughs> remember what Bradshaw did. If Bradshaw could do it, with fourth and 10, <laughs> we can definitely outdo Antiochus' army. We'll be able to somehow. But yes, I do think the idea of having an iconic, idea, an iconic event that you can somehow turn to, uh, can permeate. And I think Steelers mentality, it would work that way that this is somehow the birth, the origin story. In some ways, you know, the Hanukkah miracle is the origin of a Bayat Shani, um, uh, Renaissance. I mean, from this time on, of course, you know, there's, there might have been ups and downs, but we sort of careen into uh, the glorious period, uh, not only of the mouthless the but after that, the, the, the regal power of the Zugos, the Tanoyim, uh, that created the great edifice of Teresh Balpeh, that so many people point to, uh, not just in the Hasidic world as the victory of
1: the Hanukkah miracle has often been referred to as the immaculate inflammation. Yes,
0: yes, yes. I don't know. I've, I think I have inflammation in the, on the in my, in my <laughs> mouth over here. I don't know. Some sort of cold sore. Yes. In,
1: you can the inflammation.
0: <laughs> really, it's, 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 it's been discovered that the
1: immaculate really, conflagration, the immaculate, we got to conflagration. Come up in <laughs> yes,
0: but it was something that immaculate. I mean, they, we don't know what the source was. Right, I'm not sure how it could happen. Um, I, I guess what's interesting, you know, when you know comparing uh, the two supposedly mirac- the, well, one miraculous, one um, incredible, let's say, or something that right, is that the, there's so, all the, the films that we have, um, the ability to go back there. Unfortunately, with Hanukkah, and I think this is part of why you, you hear this from conservative theologians and others that uh, the Nes Hanukkah was something that was just propagated at a later time, uh, that there's a lot of confusion about what occurred, even from the Rambam, um, you know, who says that the victory occurred on the 25th uh, seems to be contradicted by actually some of those historical books. So, you know, there is a little, there is quite a bit of fog uh, surrounding the flame. Um, But still, I I think having the story uh, is crucial. And where were you on December twenty third, nineteen seventy two? I think has its echoes with with the the you know telling over in some ways uh, elements of the Nes Chanukah. So I think there are I, I think we're not stretching things uh, comparing it um, about Franco for a second before we as we or as him and I didn't read anything in the in terms of uh, about you know eulogizing him at the time when he became sort of like not only a Pittsburgh folk hero, but a folk hero for, for almost the whole, you know, nation, NFL nation. Um, I think it was great that he was a biracial
1: uh player. Yes, right. right. And, and by the way, even though he was, he was, uh as you say, biracial, he was embraced by what was called Franco's Italian army. Right. And the Italians in, in Pittsburgh 50 years ago embraced him as one of their own.
0: Right. And I, and I, I and I saw that as, yes, he's black. He's Italian. He's both. Who cares? You know. In, in other words, the NFL, obviously in its early days, uh, you know, did not have a, a, a tremendous amount of black players. But by 1972, uh, you had, you know, pretty much the closer to the proportion that we have today. And Franco, I think, was one of these players that was a breakout one that could actually appeal. Um, you know, to, to everyone, and yeah. I think that was, you know, it, you know, it, it, in many ways, he was like the Bronco Nagurski, old-time uh, fullback.
1: Uh, no, he you know, was listening. Played for about ten years. He, uh, he was only twenty-two at the time of the Immaculate reception. He was a young kid, and he always carried himself with remarkable dignity and humility. He was beloved in Pittsburgh. Yes.
0: yes. Well, um, you know, you, 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 I understand that anniversaries mean something, um, and they are a way to somehow. Stir people's attention back to events and things that are significant. And, and, and clearly the Roonies have been, and we've talked about what they did after the Tree of Life shooting. Um, they have been a great family. Um, uh, and you know, they, they went from the doghouse of, uh, you know, a, a, of a team, uh, to really NFL. We can't deny the fact that here we have a conflation, uh, of Hanukkah and Christmas coming, uh, smack dab together. Um, you know, let's let's hear from up north. There, um, does the do the little Jewish children feel as if mm, they're not getting enough love and? Attention? You know, I,
1: I've read about this phenomenon for decades. I've yet to see it or witness it or experience it myself. I never heard any Jewish kid complain uh, about the uh, attention uh, that uh, that the imposing holiday <laughs> receives or the competing holiday, I would I would also, I think I'm saying the obvious, really the obvious, which is that uh, Christmas and Hanukkah in a way benefits from its proximity and that it gives Jews who don't observe any, uh, you know, the holidays at all, maybe except for Pesach and Yom Kippur, get excited about Hanukkah because of its proximity to, uh, to, the, uh, to the non-Jewish holidays of around the same time.
0: So it actually inspires. Hey, I've got
1: something too. Right. Even, even though it sort of pales in comparison in some ways, um, well, it gets misunderstood, and you know, and and, and kind of, you know, uh, you know, it, it's, 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 its message doesn't necessarily get through. But there's no question that the the passionate observance of Hanukkah by many American assimilated Jews. Uh, you know, is due to the fact that there's a competing religion down the block.
0: Right. Right. And and at least, at least it was in a way uh, meant to be connected to Jewish rites and rituals. I get this question a lot as a rabbi, maybe you did too. Um, How to respond to uh, shopkeepers, other shopkeepers, right? (laughs) I'm really going way back. How to respond to people in stores and other places in this season, filling up for gas, um, to what to say um, ha- is, is 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 wishing someone Merry Christmas. Do you think
1: that's I wish people Merry Christmas all the time. Right. I okay. enjoy doing it.
0: Yes. Right? In yeah. other words, you don't believe that you should say Happy
1: Holidays. I say happy Merry Christmas. Christmas. Let them have their holidays. What's what's on. What do I care? On, on Christmas, my father would be upset. He'd go, Oye. "They got their Christmas," you know. What you mean? <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, you know, I don't think that's the attitude of most people today, but, uh, but, I mean,
0: I mean, it, it would seem, you know, again, from a halachic perspective, saying the word Christ, which of course means Mashiach, Christ means, of course, the anointed one. Uh, there are people who sort of, Listen,
1: like, I, the, the etiquette I follow is I never say the word Christmas in shul. Like, I'll, like, if I announce this schedule and I announce that we're davening a little later because it's a holiday weekend, I will not use the word Christmas in a shul. I think that I don't. I'm, it's just my that's my gut. I'm not telling somebody else that But you know, I,
0: but, but according to what you have just said, but when you're in the supermarket or the I gas does,
1: station, yeah.
0: you I will say that, you, it, will. you will say Merry Christmas.
1: No, I, I will. One hundred percent. In in show, I won't. Outside of I will. That's I my, that's my own personal etiquette, I, which I.
0: But you can't. But, but you don't really have a halachic basis for you. Just no, absolutely it. not.
1: No, that's my gut. That's all. Yeah.
0: So I think people um, uh, feel that to invoke. Jesus as Messiah, which is what Christmas does, and maybe even more. So they sort of feel I, I don't want to even say that in passing. And since I can get away with Happy Holidays, maybe which is what I do. I actually say Have a Happy Holiday. Have a Happy
1: Holiday. I say Merry Christmas. I say I like saying Merry Christmas. <laughs> I enjoy watching their face when I with the to say Merry Christmas. I think it's kind of funny. Of and course, say-
0: but, but sometimes I get you know I. I if you say Merry Christmas they might say and merry Christmas to you they might not say and happy hanukkah around
1: Most people i don't know where, I, where i'm around they, i don't know they say they say happy holidays back or happy or they try to pronounce hanukkah but yeah. uh you know I, I i don't have a problem i mean I, I you know i gave my my uh my mailman a tip and i said merry Christmas you know
0: yes in other words you well,
1: know what's uh-huh. wrong in other words we're happy to hear happy hanukkah from a non-jew so why shouldn't we reciprocate
0: in other words, if when, if let, let's put it with a halachic smear, since when you're saying it, you're not really trying to uh, acquiesce or agree to the uh, religious significance, you're just saying, I know this is going to be your holiday, I, I want you to. It's a
1: courtesy, to... it's a common courtesy. Yes, you want to uh, say, uh, Shameva? All right, say, but yes. it's a common courtesy, it's just basic social etiquette. And the people who go out of their way not to say it are the people who are enemies of Judaism. I mean, in other words, the people who want to de-religiousize America, right? Who want to make it more secular. That's not, Those aren't our friends.
0: Well, I guess, you know, my neighbor next door says, you know, let's put the Christ back in Christmas. Um, and, you know, she's a wonderful neighbor. Uh, and I am not, to me, that that's not threatening. I think you have a good point. Sometimes the people who, who want everything to just to be secularized are the ones who will stop you uh, when you try to do something of somewhat of a, a, a ostentatiously religious, to really the Jewish people who have shouldered the burden of Christmas for so many doctors, ambulance drivers, uh, my daughter who works in an animal hospital, so many Jewish uh, adults have taken the place of their Christian coworkers in order to allow them to celebrate the holiday.
1: And we would expect, (laughs) we would hope for the, you know, for that to be a reciprocal.
0: And I think it it usually is on on Kippur or something like that. So I think Jews have stood out as far as that goes. Jewish delis for years were, you know, the beneficiaries, of course, of being open on Christmas and therefore uh, (laughs) getting a lot of business even from non-Jews not just Chinese uh, takeout places. So that that, that I think is something which is important. The other thing which uh, I want to hear your input on uh, is the, the insistence in many Jewish schools that we will have school on Christmas. I mean, this year
1: it's not. Honestly, I think it's an Irish kite. I I, I mean, I know, I mean, I personally, I'm a, it it bothers me because um, schools in Quebec all have all closed during this week. And it just makes it inconvenient for me to see my grandchildren who have what's called Yeshiva Week. I mean, I don't understand what terrible, uh, you know, moral corruption takes place if Jewish schools are closed Christmas Week instead of Yeshiva Week. I mean, yeah. to be nice to the non-Jewish staff, it doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Okay, there are actually trivis on this topic from Rav uh from Rabbonim in Los Angeles, who were who were really uh, confronted by this issue, and um, I think remote gave them Nadracha to try to be open uh, on Christmas Day. Listen,
1: uh, I, listen, I believe if you live in a world where there's this terrible risk of Jewish children... You know, uh going through Shabbat or something, maybe. You know, to distance ourselves. It was a
0: true value from nineteen. It was a true from
1: nineteen sixty. So, that, I mean, again, I, we're living in a world where nobody, no Jew goes to sleep at night worrying their kids going to Shabbat. I mean, that's not what's going on here. No, no Jewish kid needs in twenty twenty two needs to be reminded. Who, no Jewish kid in a Jewish school needs to be reminded of who we are and who we aren't. So, I, I, I don't see what terrible thing would it, what, what terrible crisis in. Religious integrity uh, would result from closing during the time, but it makes it easier for everybody.
0: Especially since often in many communities, special buses have to be uh, hired because the bus drivers, who are usually not uh, Jewish people, want to be off that day. So it really,
1: in other words, we demand and expect respect for our observances. We should reciprocate, and the non-Jewish staff. And it's better for the kids. I mean, what are they? They're forced to go to school. Half their teachers aren't there. I mean, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. And and you know, it's like going out of your way. It it doesn't make any sense to me. No,
0: right? But 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 it's almost universally accepted, as they say. Um, And 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 even though you're right, when we were. Uh, youngins, uh there was no winter week off there was and, and now you know uh, you you seem to be suggesting from a sociological perspective that the yeshiva week is really a way to cash in on that Christmas week that you had to go to school, so we need to throw them a bone by t- taking that week off in the winter in order to allow trips yeah, and, I tour mean, and I like I
1: really i don't understand it let them, let them close when everybody else is closed it'd be easier for the parents who work, who have a lighter work schedule or at all that week. It, it makes more sense for everybody. The only advantage is it spreads out, you know, uh, 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 uh the, uh, the crowds in Florida or between. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. the week. Yeah. Um,
0: well let's, let's end today with, uh, we, we talked about the gift that the football gods granted the Steelers, the nest of the Immaculate Reception. Uh, what sort of, uh, Gifts did uh, the, the Emeritus Rex himself receive on um, this comic. Have you received your gifts yet?
1: I, I got it. Somebody gave me a T-shirt, which I can't wear. Uh, I have a T-shirt that's funny. And, and, again, if people had a more, if I could rely on people, people's wisdom, I would actually wear it. I got a T-shirt that says Kanye 2024. Which <laughs> I, I, my kids have told me no one will find that funny besides you. So I, can.
0: <laughs> and they probably are going to be printing a number of them because I think he has announced
1: his, his, his <laughs> candidacy. Um, so I thought like if I wore it, everyone would understand that it's a joke. But apparently, I, I've been told that you know in our t- day and age, humor is elusive.
0: <laughs> and, and and again, you know, we talk about gift giving, and, and many times people miss the boat in terms of what they give. Because uh, they're not exactly sure, and they want to have that wow moment where the person opens the gift and, uh, you know, oh, isn't this great? They're not really thinking into what that person really needs or that person really wants. Uh, um, a thought needs to go into it. Um, do you see Hanukkah gift giving as something that's like a foreign, something foreign that t- took root? Uh, in our lives. And maybe listen, should, I mean, there is an
1: old tradition of Hanukkah Gelt, wherever that comes from. Yes, we talked about it. You know, I, I think kids get pre- You know, listen, the Rabbim says before every yontif, you're supposed to give your kids a gift. So they have positive associations with the yontif. You know, I, I don't have any problem using gifts to make kids more excited about a Jewish holiday. What's wrong yes. with that?
0: Yeah, and the question is about adults, you know, the, the, yeah. the sense of, you know, going out. I know that I... On the last day of Hanukkah, I, I take a mad dash to the marshals near me, and I try to uh,
1: ask. I just, I just, a week uh, before Hanukkah, I just go on Amazon and send things to my grandchildren.
0: Yes, I- yes. Well, but, but, but as you say, it's feverish, and you try to come up with something. Um, I, I think economists uh, have determined that the amount of bad gifts that have been given, uh, <laughs> if they would stop that, the, the the American economy, maybe even the world economy, would really benefit by a number of percentages because um, there's so much waste in terms of things that people don't want and that that money could have been used uh, differently in some way. I, I will tell you that I, I think symbol, to use your brain for something symbolic and cute, um, you know, I, I think is an important. So, um, so one of our good friends, sent her a, uh, I call her a because she's not just a veggie eater. She's, again, and, and she's not uh, in any way, shape, or form, you know, a victim of too much carbs, um, but she likes pizza. So one of her friends sent her, uh, for Hanukkah, a blanket, a round blanket, with the texture and shape, this means you to me. And I think that's great. If you have a gift from someone you like. Franco, uh, rest in peace with all the rest of the, the great ones up there um, in your football heaven. Be well, everybody. Happy Hanukkah to all. Be well. Happy holidays. And
1: you might as well say it to our Christian friends. And to our Christian friends, a Merry Christmas. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Be well. <laughs> Last chance for the Steelers. Bradshaw trying to get away. And his pass is broken up by Tatum. Kipped off. Wow. Franko Harris has it. And he's over. What? Franco Harris. Grabbed the ball in a deflection. Five seconds to go. He grabbed it with five seconds to go and scored. Let's watch this again. One million to one odds on this one. Watch this. Ricochet. Ricochet out there off of Jack Tatum and into the man of the year, Franco Harris's hands. When you talk about Christmas miracles, here's the miracle of all miracles. Watch this one now is lucky to even get rid of the ball. He shoots it out. Jack Tatum deflects it right into the hands of Harris. And he sets off. And the big 230-pound rookie slipped away from Warren and scored.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.